a little bit of sadness, but like it's honestly insignificant compared to what the world is going through right now. I mean, every single day I feel like a lot. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the fact that Western States was canceled. My first thought when this happened was, wow, running is still such a racist thing to do. Like it's so white. And we see that all around us. You, most of the races we go to are so predominantly white. And the fact that someone who doesn't look like us, us could be on a run doing exactly what we're doing and it could be interpreted in a totally different way from what we're doing is just illustrative of that fact. That was Abby Levine and Claire Gallagher, and this is the Running on Ohm podcast. Welcome to or welcome back to the Running on Own podcast. I'm your host, Julia Hanlon, and I'm so grateful that you've chosen to tune in today. Here on the Running on Own podcast, we feature long form style conversations with women in endurance sports and in the outdoors. Although these conversations focus on women's stories in particular, this podcast is for everyone, hopefully, for everyone to feel inspired and empowered by. Today's conversation with Claire Gallagher and Abby Levine, their names, yeah, they might sound familiar as they were recent guests on Rue 227 released in early February. Abby and Claire are professional trail runners, activists, and have been best friends for over a decade. Today's podcast is from a live podcast event we did last week as part of the Rue Roundtable series, where anyone in the Rue community, maybe even you, joined in. It was so much fun to catch up with Claire and Abby and learn about their experiences during this time of COVID-19, how this time has actually connected them even more deeply to the place that they live in, Boulder, Colorado, how they've navigated canceled races, lessons they've learned from their mothers, and we even dig into their privilege as white female runners. Claire and Abby bring insight, laughter, and joy to this conversation and to the world. At the end of the conversation, we took listener questions from all those who attended the event. And this interview is pretty different format for me, as I usually do my interviews in person and never in front of an audience. But the Rue Roundtable series has felt like such a light for me during this month, a light that I get to connect with past guests and all of you. And if you want to join in for the remaining Rue Roundtables, you can find all the info at runningonome.com slash events, and I would love to see you there. Today's podcast and Rue Roundtable live event is brought to you by my friends at Jaybird. Jaybird creates high-performance wireless headphones for athletes and is a place in my heart as they were one of Rue's first podcast sponsors way back in chapter one of the podcast. Jaybird recently released a new totally wireless Bluetooth headphones called the Vista. Wow. Vistas are incredible. They're the lightest, most compact, and most advanced headphones Jaybird has ever made, and they're earthproof, tested and made to accompany you in all the elements, wind, rain, snow, and sweat. I love to run in my Vista headphones, and even last week took them on a run in the rain, and I didn't have to worry about them falling out, and each individual bud has 32 hours of battery life, so you don't ever have to stress about are they charged yet? Not only do I love adventuring in my Vistas, they're also my go-to headphones for making phone calls, listening to podcasts, and all the many Zoom meetings we've all been on recently. Their sound quality is exceptional, both indoors and outdoors. Jaybird is offering Rue listeners 10% off your Vistas with the code RUE10 on jaybirdsport.com. This special offer will only be valid through June 6, 2020. And by supporting sponsors of the podcast, you're also supporting Brew. This allows us to keep sharing these powerful conversations with these amazing women. And if today's episode with Claire and Abby resonates, please reach out to us on Instagram. I also always love to see where people listen to the podcast, on the trail, while cooking, in your backyard. Okay, friends, you ready? Let's do this. Let's dive deep with amazing duo Claire Gallagher and Abby Levine.
Welcome everyone. I'm going to get started just to be mindful of Claire and Abby's time and everyone's evening. Um, I'm Julia Hanlon and it's an honor to have all of you tuning in to our first Rue Roundtable series. And the inspiration behind this was um, I usually do interviews in person and I interviewed Claire and Abby in person in January. And um, obviously with COVID, a lot of things have changed. And for me, I wanted to bring back past guests and bring them on and get to have an opportunity to check in with them, how they're doing, how this time has shifted, whether it be their life, their training. <laughs> Claire and Abby are getting stoked right now. This is awesome. <laughs> Claire's just like a goldfish. <laughs> We're listening, Julia. <laughs> I love it. Um, so these two women are total badasses if you haven't um, met them before. <laughs> Sorry. And Claire and Abby are both professional trail runners who live in Boulder, Colorado, and they're also activists, which we're going to get to talk about, and they've been best friends for over a decade, and so they are Corin teammates, um, definitely, and yeah, so Claire and Abby, we're going to dig into some heavy stuff and some light stuff, but let's start out a little bit light. What has been the best part of both of your days thus far? Well, sorry, Julia, I didn't mean to play music while you were talking, but um, I just put a link to this Jaybird film. I'm not sponsored by Jaybird, but, and I don't have their headphones, but <laughs> they made this sweet film about girls um, gotta run, which is how we all met, um, which is this organization, this super rad organization in Ethiopia that uh, sponsors girl to, girls to stay in school, um, keeps them like out of child marriage keeps them running that film though I just sent it to one of my family members because I was like you have to watch this film Rory Bazio has a cameo at the end um oh it just like gives me chills makes me want to cry anyways so Claire it is so it so chat. beautiful yeah I put it in the chat yeah. <laughs> um but to answer, Claire <laughs> to answer your question Julia uh Honestly, my day was incredibly, I felt very isolated other than running with Claire this morning. So that was 100% the highlight of my day. We ran up uh, Lion's Lair to the top of Mount Sunitas and had a hazy view of the mountains and the plains. And it was delightful. Yeah, we, to make it clear to anyone who's watching or um I guess listening, Abby and I are sitting like six inches from each other and we are, have been semi, we've been quarantining essentially together. We, we both technically live alone. And so, yeah, just like out of respect for the, um, uh, COVID pandemic, uh, that's the reality is we sort of, yeah, day one, we decided that we were going to be in a quote unquote pod and so, thank, yeah. thank God, because I would have actually gone insane by now if it wasn't for Claire. So, very yeah. grateful to get to see her. Almost yeah, I hope people can, like, can run with someone they either live with or someone, like, in Abby is mine situation. Um, yeah, that's, like, been such a blessing to get out of, I think, our own heads and to, like, really be present. Because we've been running now and, you know, we live in Boulder, Colorado since, like, early March and honestly it's been a blessing like to to answer your question about a positive is like feeling this sense of place like day in day out running from our doors we live about a mile from each other um yeah we feel very grateful and lucky to live in a town that has enough going on that you feel like it's still somewhat energetic and there are things to do and see but then also having amazing trail access at our front doors is really, really nice. And just like knowing where we live, like I've been way more inspired to learn more about the history of Boulder. Like yeah. there's really rich indigenous culture, history to Boulder. Um, we both, it was funny. I yeah. went on a bike ride and Claire went on a run in this past week and we both went by what's called the Valmont Butte. And it's where the Native Americans originally settled in the Boulder land. Well, yeah, and Southern Arapaho mostly. Um, Chi- and maybe Cheyenne, yeah. And I think some Lakota. But yeah. it's like the most sacred aspect of Boulder. And it's kind of sad now because it's next to a bunch of smokestacks. But it was really cool to for us both to kind of see that in the last week. We've li- lived here for years and haven't even realized that yeah. it's there. So some silver linings. <laughs> yeah. 
that sense of place is really strong and it is such a such a blessing that you guys get to have one another during this time. I know last time we recorded, Abby, you were struggling with an injury and you weren't running. Tell me a bit about how, yeah, how you guys have been conceptualizing training during this time because there are no races on the calendar. What has that been like? Uh, well, for me, it was a blessing in disguise. I was really stressed at the beginning of the end of February, beginning of March. I was supposed to go on a Adidas uh, team training camp to the Canary Islands. And then I had a couple trips to Europe for races between April and June. And that was really weighing on me, not being able to run. At the time, I hadn't run in three months or so. Um, and then I don't really know exactly what happened with my knee. I think maybe part of it was working with Brian Kent in Boston, who I think you know. He's great. Uh, he had me start nerve flossing, which didn't sound at all related to my knee pain, but that seemed to kind of help. And then with the pandemic, I stopped backcountry skiing. Maybe that helped. Honestly, not really sure what helped. It, it, at that point, it had been five or six months of not running. Um, but yeah, miraculously, my knee has gotten better. So I'm just really more grateful than ever to be able to run right now during this time. Yeah. So, and yeah, so in terms of plans, it kind of depends on when things open up. I have some projects I'd like to do that combine biking and running um, around here, but the national parks, (laughs) but national parks will have to be open for that to happen. And, and Claire's talked about doing some really fun runs up in the peaks around here that, yeah, we'll see it. We're trying, I think we're both trying to be respectful of this time. My sister's an EMT in Boston and she spent two weeks in New York City working 20 hour days, just like transporting bodies and just knowing what she and all of the other healthcare workers in our country are going through. And everyone who's sick, my, my grandmother passed away two days ago of COVID. It's, you know, it's just like, it's trying to be respectful of the pandemic, even though we could go and do things within our limits of risk it's this transcends our own personal endeavors and so just really trying to be cognizant of that so that will largely for me play a factor in my goals for the year I'm so sorry to hear about your grandma's passing that is really heavy well thanks yeah it's like we can get into that if you want to but it's really I mean it's fascinating going through Maybe fascinating is the wrong word. It's really sad, but it is also really interesting going through something like that where she's Jewish and you're supposed to be buried within 48 hours. So they're still having the funeral in Boston this weekend. Only eight people can attend. There won't really be a service. And then we're having like in the Jewish culture, you have a week of grieving after they're buried. So we're going to do that on Zoom next week. Oh, wow. Yeah. And my family lives all over the country. So a lot of a lot of my family members won't be at the funeral this weekend, including one of her sons. So it's yeah, it's really interesting trying to navigate that. And you really realize that when someone in your family passes away, what like you just want to get together and celebrate their life and also just lift each other up like that is kind of obvious but it becomes even more clear when you're actually going through it and so it's yeah it's interesting not being able to do that wow yeah just charting charting new paths each day one day at a time yeah abby's been so like diligent i just want to say like the day-to-day because people i'm sure people listening and anyone in the running community has gone through a really frustrating injury. And from what I can tell, IT band syndrome is like arguably one of the most frustrating ones. And like my partner is going through it basically also for the last six months. And, and then it's just like, you don't know like who or what it is that like how it gets better. And, and in Abby's case, she just like quietly did the thing she could do, you know, would try and like, you know, not think about running too much. I try and like not talk about running too much with her, but like, it also is just like life, you know, like injuries life. And I, she, Abby's made a lot of really great analogies of sort of just like being in the long haul with a long unexplained injury. And that's kind of what we're in, in a way with like, you know, yeah. I mean, it totally, I wrote an article a couple weeks ago about this, like the 
the correlations between injuries and the pandemic. And for anyone who's gone through an injury, which for most runners, that would be yes. I think that you really learn lessons through those times that are so applicable to going through what we're going through now. Just one day at a time, controlling what you can control, focusing on the positives and what you can do versus the things that you can't do. You know, obviously being injured sucks, but I, I was like, I was skiing a lot this winter. I was biking. My life was fine. I was sad <laughs> yeah. I couldn't run, but it's like, it's not the end of the world, you know, yeah. especially when it's just an overuse injury that is frustrating because you don't know when it will get better, but it will get better eventually. And you just really have to believe that. And in the meantime, just try not to stress about it. And it's kind of like now, even though some days are definitely better than others, and that's also okay. Yeah, like Julia, you've been injured on and off for years with your foot, and like, yeah, how has it been for you? And how is how is your body? And yeah, <laughs> thank you, thank you for asking. Um, yeah, I definitely can resonate to what you're speaking to, Abby, with just like the uncertainty of an injury. And I've had this foot injury for the past two years, and it's one thing, and then it's another thing, and you want to have a name and a diagnosis for it, and you want to know when it's going to be over, um, and a timeline for it. And I finally, honestly, in the past like month and a half, um, something has shifted, and things have clicked, and my foot is really a lot more resilient, and I'm able to run pain-free. So it's been incredible. Abby, I feel like we're on a similar parallel paths right now. (laughs) And Brian has been a part of my healing too. Um, But it's, yeah, it's definitely, I mean, it's, it's so frustrating to not be able to do something you love, you know? Um, And, but it also, I just love what you said, Abby. Also, it's, it's like, it's not the end of the world. Like it is just one way to access ourselves. And Claire, I want to return back to my question for both of you. Like, what has it been like to have races canceled? And what does it feel like for Western States, which is something that you won last year, she won, um, (laughs) to not actually like be able to return there this summer. Um, yeah. I don't know. Is there grief in that? Um, like, yes, I think a little bit, but I'll be honest. Um, I don't know if it's because, like, I hang out with Abby a lot. And Abby was, like, on the COVID pandemic. And also, Gotham, you can totally show your face. He asked a question. (laughs) There's no etiquette. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Um, But uh, he's great. Um, Like... We were talking about COVID in in March or excuse me in like February yeah. and and then and then March rolls around and I was really just like waiting to hear if Lake Sonoma was going to happen which was scheduled for April 10th and and I was like oh it's not going to happen and and I and then I was like god oh, states isn't going to happen and you know I I just really respect the Western States board and Craig Thornley, the race director, for making that decision so quickly because I know a lot of people signed up for races in the summer are still waiting to hear what if their race is, is on or canceled. You know, we're talking races in June, even July, August, you know, um, especially if it's like out of state or let alone international, which like probably isn't going to happen. But I just respect the race directors who are making those decisions. Um, There's like a little bit of sadness, but like it's just it's honestly insignificant compared to what the world is going through right now. I mean, every single day I feel like a lot. It has nothing to do with the fact that Western States was canceled. Um, well, and I think Claire, to speak for Claire because, um, for a second, <laughs> I think I have an interesting like perspective just seeing you every day. And I think one of Claire's greatest strengths is that she doesn't focus solely on running and her results. And she cares so deeply about the world and about these issues that transcend her own running. And I remember when the pandemic hit and we were in quarantine, Claire just didn't run for a week because she just felt the weight of what was going on in the world. You haven't mentioned once to me about a race being canceled. Like that is not on the top of uh, the top of your thinking line at this point. I mean, I really feel for like the international people who, um, you know, getting into Western States via the lottery is like a one in like five or 10 year thing, you know, that 
that sucks and and everything but yeah it's just like in the grand scheme of things pretty insignificant um it's people losing their jobs and dying and x y and z uh also like in march I mean, I'll never know, but I felt like <laughs> shit. I felt so bad for these two weeks. I like, I, there's a high chance that I like could have had COVID and, and maybe one day I'll know and get the antibodies, but I just, and to our coach, we share a coach, David Roach, who's amazing. Um, to his credit, he was like, obviously don't run. Like, even if like late Sonoma would have happened, you know, and I would have had a horrible race because I didn't run for two weeks, basically. It's just like, like March was like, I don't even know what happened in March. I feel like I just read and slept and like did work, you know, so to all the people who maybe go through those feelings, because I've talked to a lot of other runners who have had like two week periods where they feel like shit and it's like, give into that, you know, there's nothing that you need to be like fit for right now. And if you feel great, then great, like honor that and like get after it. But if you feel like shit, like, just like, chill out. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I you spoke to the heaviness of this time. And I, I definitely feel that heaviness, like I've been so much easier to cry than I usually am and just feel so raw all the time. How do you guys navigate that heaviness? And do you both feel like there's things you've been able to do to feel like you can can make an impact during this time? Like a, an impact that transcends, an impact to alleviate our own heaviness or to feel like we're contributing to the world in a more tangible way? I love both, however you want to interpret that question. Help us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so I've been working on this illustration project for the last three or four weeks. And since I'm just drawing a lot, I like to listen to things. And usually I'd listen to podcasts. Like I'm definitely a podcast junkie. And I've still been listening to your podcast because you are the most soothing person on the planet and you always make me feel better. Yeah, best running podcast. It's <laughs> like one of the best podcasts. Yeah. Like you just are an amazing podcaster. Not, I'm not trying to toot your horn, your horn. I'm just being serious. But beyond that, I just – I I had to stop listening to the <laughs> – I had to stop listening to the Daily, the New York Times podcast for a while – all of these podcasts I love because it just felt too real. You know, my company I was working for at the beginning of the pandemic got hit very hard very quickly and had to lay most of us off, including me. So I didn't want to hear about un like people getting unemployed, millions of people. Like, I know we're all in this. That was too close to home. Then my grandmother tested positive for COVID in a New Jersey nursing home. Okay, I don't want to hear about people who are sick. It just, it all felt too real. So... Long story short, I have binged all seven Harry Potter books for about the 20th time in the last <laughs> two weeks yes. on Audible. Thank you, Jim Dale. And that has been one of the best things I think that I've done during the pandemic. I'm sure like many Harry Potter fans, it just, it brings me back to my childhood. It's so comforting, but also at the same time, that world is going through a lot of strife and kind of existential angst. So you can relate on that level and kind of get some clarity and almost um, resolve that way. That's, that's been really helpful for me. And also I've actually, I've been really fortunate to write a bunch of articles recently that have been about other runners around the world and just connecting with runners in Italy and France and Spain and across the U S and hearing about how they're going through the pandemic and the things they're doing to find joy and solace during these times has really helped me a lot. It's been like therapy. So I've been really grateful to have that work to do as well. Yeah. She, even though she got laid off because her company kind of yeah blew up, she's been freelance writing so many really interesting articles and like when we meet up to run in the morning, it's like, oh, okay, like, what do you got on your plate today? Like, <laughs> and but actually, it's usually really interesting because Abby's like, hey, I'm trying to talk to like Martina in Italy, who's our friend who lives in the Dolomites, and she's been on house quarantine for over two months. And yeah. some of Abby's like um, European teammates, uh, Spanish, like one of the literally the best trail runners in the world, Luis Alberto um, Fernandez. Fernandez is like 
you know, directing traffic in Spain because he's an EMT. He's a world champion, multiple time world champion in trail running. And I get, we get this photo and he's just like, you know, in all his, all of his PPE, just because he, he's a mountain rescue guy, person, usually. Not like a typical healthcare worker. So now he's just like down in Spain, like trying to Like, help sorry, out. can't make the Adidas like team call. Like right. I'm actually really busy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's been, it's been fascinating and also really helps set me in our place. Like we have it so good here, even though. I am acknowledging like the hardships we're going through, like those are real at the same time when you talk to people in Spain who it's a beautiful sunny day and they're on their elliptical inside, or maybe they don't have an elliptical and they're just in at home running up and down the stairs, mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. In Italy, I have some friends who their families got hit really hard. I have a friend who has multiple family members who were doctors in Italy and just the stress that they've gone through, it really helps contextualize it and and also reminds us that we're all in this together. And I think that in a way is, it's sad, but it's also kind of comforting. I love that you brought Hogwarts into it at the beginning (laughs) of this time. I was almost like thinking about it, like the time when everyone's sent home from Hogwarts, you know, and I was like, this is what it's like. Um, But there's also such beauty in what I'm hearing that you're using this time to connect and to share stories of your friends from around the world. Where can we find your writing? I've written for Women's Writing, Podium Runner, and then a couple of brands like on their blogs. It's all on my website if people really want to find it, but that's... I will... Gail Gone Wild Dog. Oh, no, that's that's her, um, actually, like, undercover website is gailgonewild.com, and then abbylevine.com is her professional website. No, I switched it, but it still has... Because I started this blog as a joke, like, a long time ago. Oh, you know we found it. Yeah, when our group of friends found this, we were like, what is this, Abby? You can't take yourself too seriously. I just, I really like to write, and that was a way when I didn't know how to get published it's all like just... it's actually all unfortunately it's all very PC but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know you can hope there would be something more interesting and good right, noting there I'll I'll find some time to write an un-PC <laughs> blog post just just for you yeah. I have a confession, though. So Abby has been listening to Harry Potter. I have never read Harry Potter. It's like, uh, yeah, you can hate me. I know. I'm I'm working on it. Okay, it's it's a thing. <laughs> it's a it's a it's like a, a security thing. So, but I like have still been listening to you know the daily podcasts, and but I found this time as like a way, and I kind of mentioned it earlier. Like, there's now time and space to, like, really get to know where we live. And it's, like, whether you like where you live or you don't. Say you don't like where you live, like, that's fine. Maybe you can fantasize about someplace else. Or um, I've just never been so compelled to, like, hone in on my runs. And especially the runs, like, that are by myself. I feel like they're more of a prayer. In, and I'm not religious, Um like I'm spiritual in many ways of the outdoor space. And so I'm, it's like a, a, a sense of gratitude and acknowledging the plants that are around me, acknowledging the people that are around us, like the people who, you know, like just putting up a mask on a run. I'm like, wow, like I feel so connected to you. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. And like, that's not necessarily advice or anything, but... Um. Well, I mean, I think if you are going through something hard, like yesterday, so my, my grandmother passed away two nights ago, and so I woke up to a text from my dad telling me. And so Claire had a workout, and I didn't, so I was running by myself yesterday, and I ran up Green Mountain, which is one of our local peaks. And uh, I got to the top, and you can see the the snow-capped mountains in the background and it's one of the taller points in Boulder and just feeling closer to the sky like that it almost felt like I was running up to my grandmother and I'm not Mm. a religious person I like Claire I find a lot of I believe in kind of the magic of the world around us that's about as far as my spirituality goes but I really felt that connection up there and it and I felt kind of sad running back down, but I think it really did help me process it. And mm. I would recommend that strategy if, if anyone is going through something hard. Mm-hmm. I love that. 
One of the questions I was thinking to ask both of you, um, seeing that this weekend is Mother's Day, was to hear from you um, just something you've learned from your mom. And if you're inspired to share about something you've learned from your grandmother, uh, just a lesson. And it does not, we can totally shift gears from COVID and of course return back to that. But just wanted to hear, yeah, some something paying tribute to those women in your life. My my mom is very service oriented. She's volunteers for everything she can think of and spent most of my childhood ripping up invasive weeds in our local lake and scuba diving nonetheless. <laughs> I'm like, yo, Abby, do you have a patty cert certification? She's like, no, but my mom does. I'm like, you're from New Hampshire. Why <laughs> Yeah, she got scuba certified so she could go rip up the weed the milfoil in the lake. Um yeah. <laughs> casual (laughs) but I I feel like that my desire not that I am an amazing person or anything but just my (laughs) my desire to try to work on climate change issues to get involved with protect our winters which is a climate change advocacy group that Claire and I are involved with based in Boulder but it has a global influence and some illustration on work I've done for the Garden Club of America, which my mom is part of, that they're really big on conservation. So I illustrated and wrote this children's book, coloring book about pollinators and just things like that, that 100% influenced by my mom. And I kind of just took that for granted in her growing up. And it was like, okay, mom's off to another town council meeting. She's in the lake scuba diving, like getting water samples, like, okay, whatever. But now I'm like, wow, you're such a badass. You are so cool. And I'm so inspired by you. And she's a lawyer and felt kind of got burnt out on corporate law. And now she's represents the state uh, for mental health patients who need a representative for medication or going in and out of a facility. And that's something that she knows nothing about. She did training for it, but I think she finds it really challenging and uncomfortable. But just putting herself in that situation at age 60 something, just like, wow, it's so inspiring. And just remembering that we can keep turning new chapters in our life and learning and striving and growing throughout our whole lives. Something I'm really grateful for. Yeah, so badass. And when it comes to my grandmother, honestly, she's the most can- she was the most cantankerous Jewish grandmother that you can imagine. <laughs> um, but that being said, her stubbornness and her will are something that I definitely have inherited and am somewhat grateful for. <laughs> yes, it's beautiful. <laughs> How about you, Claire? Um, well, similar to Abby's mom. My mom's been a teacher her whole life, public school, and she she just turned 60 a couple years ago and had this opportunity to move from um, a suburb of Denver into a essentially a part of a part of Denver that's extremely diverse. And it was like a really challenging teaching position. And she was like, sure. And she could have like retired at her original school, you know, and just sort of wrote it out. And she didn't. She decided to switch over. And now her class is like the UN. It's 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 third grade. Um, <laughs> so the young UN. Um, <laughs> she has and I was just speaking in her class a couple of days ago. Oh, oh my gosh. Boy. I can't show you the, the photo because it's like illegal to show kids faces, you know, oh. in public schools. You have to like get all their parents to sign. But um, yeah, she has kids from all over the world. I think something like 15 languages are spoken in her class of 22. And my mom has just like taken on this new challenge when a lot of people are sort of like winding down Um, and she reads like more books than I can count about race and about like identity and about like how to be an ally. And, and this is, these are for like the future of America, you know, these are these, this is like her kids are the future and it's really, really inspiring. It, it makes me, um, just like want to be like a fraction of my mom, (laughs) um, Yeah. I mean, she was great before she did this anyways, but it's just one example. And my mom like doesn't put up with bullshit. Like a lot of people in my family do like bullshit outings like or like, you know, want to go do stupid runs or um, (laughs) 
or like be really cold. And my mom is like, no, I'm going to read at home. And I so respect that. Like she does not do things like she doesn't really want to do. So, um, yeah, like here's to powerful moms who like tell us to, you know, do what we want. How about you, Julia? <laughs> yeah, we were talking about our moms before the po- before this started airing, and we were saying how none of our moms wear makeup, <laughs> like, like actively non makeup wearers. <laughs> what I hear from you about both of your moms that I feel like my mom also embodies is this willingness to continue to learn and to continue to grow in one's life, and I've seen that in my mom so much. So um, she also is a lawyer and she is now doing work, um, immigration law and her background is in real estate law. And she went to Dilly, Texas and volunteered in a detention center there, um, helping people who are trying to seek asylum in the U S and that was last year. She did that kind of work and volunteers in Boston. So I just, similar to, I feel like both of what you've touched upon is just like, my mom is so courageous and so willing to, continue to learn and continue to just want to better the world in her small way. Um, she's, she's by far the most impactful person in my life and, um, is so incredibly capable and has shown me that like anything, anything is possible. Um, yeah. So even just talking about it, I feel like I can cry, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> love it, Julia. Yeah. Also, and like to all the people, cause I know like some people might not have moms who are alive or maybe were raised by like, um, you know, uh, like in a non-traditional way. Um, And I I find Mother's Day and Father's Day like feel like it's important to like add the asterisk of like, you know, anyone you consider who's like a mama, a mom, whatever. A parental figure. Yeah. Like whether it's a teacher or something. um, Because I think we're really fortunate that we have a close relationship with our parents, moms. Yeah. And Claire, you brought up something about your mom, just as her willingness to like want to learn about race and prejudice and privilege. And right now in the world, um, the death of Ahmed Arbery is ever present for us on social media and it's really impacted me in the past day. I've cried twice today over it. And I'm curious to hear just as white women who live in Boulder, which is a very privileged bubble, like how how do you both view yourselves as allies and how can you be allies? Yeah. Uh, Julia, I'm really glad you brought it up because Abby and I have talked about it this morning and um, like yesterday. Yeah, I I haven't like cried that hard you, when I read about you. Um, yes, you Ahmed Aubrey in a really long time. And I think as most people watching or listening, like being runners, um, there's an extra level of connection and not that we should need that extra level of connection to see a hate crime and a hate murder of white supremacists against an innocent person um, to feel how we feel. But acknowledging how we feel is like step one, right? And then not that I'm yet there to step two, but it's like, what do you do next? It's like, how do you use your your platform or your job or, or something to talk about how white supremacy is, is terrorism? And like, how do we t- contact our local officials and, and like learn about the laws that are happening? Like this morning, I was talking to Abby about like stand your ground laws Um And that's one thing that empowers hate crimes often because you can have a gun um, and and the stand your ground law usually like supports essentially someone with a a deadly weapon. And like, I don't have any of the answers to these, um, but I think like step one is learning and being actively non-racist. Like when I'm running and I see someone who doesn't look like me, I try and actively smile and I do that, I guess, to anyone I'm running by, but it's like an extra effort to people who don't look like me. And I don't know if that's if that's doing anything. It it feels like it's doing something. Yeah, um, well, I think kind of to piggyback on that, 
the, my first thought when this happened was, wow, running is still such a racist thing to do. Like, it's so white. And we see that all around us. You, most of the races we go to are so predominantly white. And the fact that someone who doesn't look like us, us could be on a run doing exactly what we're doing and it could be interpreted in a totally different way from what we're doing is just illustrative of that fact. And just this week was also the missing, murdered, and indigenous women's, women's day to bring attention to the fact that thousands of Native American women are are murdered and or taken away from their families every year. And there are a lot of Native American runners out there who are incredible people. And I think we need to highlight more people in the running media and the running community, showcase the fact that it isn't a totally white sport. And yeah. then also, and because you're not going to do something unless you feel comfortable and you see other people like you doing it. And so it's kind of a chicken and egg problem. Because, yes, a lot of runners are white, but if we can make this space more inclusive and welcoming to all people, then hopefully that will help to turn the tides and, and make running this this democratic space that it is. I mean, running is the most simple sport you can do. All you need are a pair of shoes to do it. And it's open to everyone. The outdoors is open to everyone. And I think that the onus is on us that are already in the community to open those doors and to welcome people in. I mean, I would push back a little bit. Like, we know trail running just from, like, demographic stats is, is, like, predominantly white. But, like, that you know, is changing and hopefully it just continues to change. But like road running, track running, it's the reality is, is it's completely mixed. And, and I know what you're saying. The media perception. Totally. Well, and that's, yeah. And like some of these really popular road runners, like Kara Goucher and Lauren Fleshman, your close friend, Julia, like I really respect them for elevating, um, the issue, I mean, the the tragedy tragedy of Ahmed Arbery's death, um, and how, like, yeah, I guess, how do we do anything? It's like I guess we can first start with our communities, and and that is running. And so it's like, otherwise, if you think too big, it's like, all right, well, well right. you're just going to be crying all night. Like <laughs> you're not going to get any, any, anywhere, but yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think just, yeah, yeah, there are, I mean, I think trail running does, as you said, present a unique issue in the fact that often you have to live in a pretty privileged place to have access to trails and that's a whole nother issue that I definitely don't have the solutions for. But I think, as Claire mentioned, we are kind of entering this new era where there, you do see these really amazing running groups in cities that have a incredible diversity. And those are being highlighted more and are becoming more popular. And hopefully we're on a different a different trend. Yeah, well, not to derail, like a trail is anywhere. I mean, there are trails literally in every single county in the country. You know, it doesn't have to be a mountain trail. Like, right, and, and I think it's just like, yeah, that's almost a different issue or different conversation. Um, I don't know. Like, Julia, what what do you think? You talk to a lot of people and live in a big, diverse city. Um, like, have you thought about, like, what to do? Yeah, this morning I I um I drove 20 minutes to run in Concord, Massachusetts, which is a suburb outside the city I live in. That's very white. And when I was running, I actually was on this trail and it was really beautiful. Didn't see too many people, but I was thinking like what if I was a black man right now and running on this trail? Like would I feel welcome here? Mm-hmm. Even though I'm 20 minutes from an urban city, there I live in Cambridge, which is has a tremendous amount of racial diversity, but even just 20 minutes away, like would I feel safe on this trail? Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't have the answers, but I do agree with you, Claire, in that like us as beings, like we trying to be as inclusive, inclusive as possible, whether it's like actually at a race or on the trail and how we encounter and interact with people and making the extra step to just welcome everyone into your human family. 
Mm-hmm. And then I also, for me, like with the podcast, one of my intentions that I'm still have a lot of work to do in is just to bring more diverse voices. And so whatever space like we're in, Abby, you speaking to you're writing about trail runners around the world. Claire, I know you do so much advocacy and seeing on your Instagram every day, you sharing different people that you love their work, just like continuing to elevate the different voices around us, um, I think is just so, so important. So using whatever corner of our world we can, Claire, you spoke to that. With you know what making the change in your community um, is where I think I believe I can begin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. One thing I'd like to add on the topic of race and running is that I believe our our communities are a lot more diverse than this homogenous idea we might have, and we're probably just not opening our eyes to the fact that there is this rich diversity to every single running community that that exists. Um, you know, are we making space for diverse voices? That's the question. Are we opening our eyes to diverse voices? Are we following people on our social media channels that don't look like us, that come from different backgrounds, that have different histories and frankly, different traumas. Um, I've I've really learned so much just from from following different runners on Instagram who who have different backgrounds. I think that's a really small, easy step we can take to expanding our perspectives. Additionally, on my reading list are books. Um, I just started White Fragility, uh, Black Faces, White Spaces, and. One of the best books on the histories of our national parks is called Dispossessing Wilderness, and it's about the forced removal of Indigenous Americans from what we now call many of our national parks, from Yellowstone, Yosemite, to Glacier National Park. I think diving in to the gritty, traumatic histories is one step to acknowledging our our biases and and to making our world a better place. Yeah. So I want to begin to open it up for listener questions. And so I encourage people to write some questions in the chat. They can be silly, real, strong, whatever you want. Bring them at us. Um, But I'm going to get us started on more fun questions. That was a question that my partner and I were discussing earlier today, which is when you were eight years old, what did you want to be when you grew up? Or what do you think eight-year-old Claire and Abby wanted to be when they grew up? Well, what grade is that? Is that like... That's third grade. Third grade, okay. Well, I know in fifth grade, because we had like a yearbook, I put Olympic swimmer. (laughs) 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 So, you know, I... And Abby was actually a really, really like good swimmer um, in high school. And I swam through high school, but not like super great. And... You know, I was just like, I'm going to shred the pool when I'm old. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Um, I mean, that mentality has carried you through (laughs) to today. Who knows? As a very successful runner. So it's It's, really the same thing. It's a show that I have a special love for water because freediving is my real passion. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's really the only thing I've heard Claire lament during this time is that the pools are closed. I just like splashing. I'm not fast, but... You know, it's funny, though, that you had a water-related thing. I wanted to be a whale trainer. I don't know why. I definitely was afraid of whales as a as a kid. Like had, an orca? I just wanted to be in the, <laughs> like, at SeaWorld. That's so bad. With, I know. <laughs> it's awful. Yeah. It's awful. But that was around the time I was yeah. transitioning to wanting to be a doctor, because my dad's a doctor, and I looked up to him. Um... So yeah, whale trainer slash dog. <laughs> Thanks, Gotham. Okay, we won't use guys. <laughs> so, okay, we're getting some questions. Let us start with Christine. What do you love and maybe not love about Boulder? I've only visited once and really liked it, and I've always thought of moving out there from the East Coast. I'll I'll say what I really love about it is um, the trail access is world-class. Um, I think it's probably no surprise to most people listening, but, um, and when I say trails, it's like the variety. So you can get smooth trails, you can get technical trails, you can get trails with a lot of vert. Um, 
and there's also a lot of like dirt roads to run around. Um, it's it's not as like culturally rich, I think, as other places in America. Um, so there are definitely trade offs. Well, that's kind of getting back to what I was saying earlier. It's if you look at the places around the country with incredible outdoor access, like what comes to mind, Boulder, Flagstaff, Bozeman, Montana, Tahoe, maybe, um, they're, they tend to be pretty homogenous and Boulder, as I said, and Claire said, definitely fits that mold. And that's definitely what I like the least about it, but it's kind of a double edged sword. I, I feel somewhat bad saying that because we do have an incredible community here. And I am very, very grateful for our friends who I think our training community is pretty unique in the endurance world. Maybe not. I come from triathlon. So compared to triathlon, it feels very rich in terms of we have people with all different vocations, all different backgrounds in our trail running community who love to talk about things outside of running. And I feel like I learned so much from them in ways like unrelated to the trails. And I, I do really love that. Yeah, as I'm sure, like, people, anyone who's lived in a university town, um, you get a lot of interesting people just surrounded um, in that sort of university culture. And also the fact that we have a bunch of national labs here. Yeah. A lot of smart people. It's like people studying black holes I can't even, like, have a conversation with. (laughs) (laughs) So our next question is from Kelly. And Kelly, a side note, um, was one of the inspirations for starting this Rue Roundtable series. Kelly is going to be working with Running on OM as an intern. And she um, invited me to think about how I could create connection during this time. So thank you, Kelly, um, for inspiring this. And she asked, how do you get the best out of yourself during hard training moments? Um, I just did a really hard workout yesterday and honestly I love workouts and I think getting to the place where you love workouts where you're not doing them often and like I I actually look forward to them because I only do one usually once a week sometimes less um is one a really good avenue to bring the best out in yourself um and I use really basic mantra mantras. Like we're talking basic. Like, good job, Claire. Like, I literally say that out loud to myself. Like really breaking um like literary barriers here. You got this, Claire. And I always feel like I run better when I use these basic mantras. Well, yeah, to piggyback off of that, I think one of the things that Claire is so good about doing is focusing on the process. And we live in this world with Strava and other online traffic tracking activity things where you can get so bogged up in the data and caring about the results of your workout. And ultimately, if you take a step back, A, the results don't matter. It's about working hard and getting that stimulus from your body. And B, if you can just appreciate the process and enjoy working hard and getting to that feeling of like deep exhaustion and fatigue and and really forcing your mind and your body to get to another place, you can begin to really love the workouts. Part of it, as Claire said, is not doing too many of them. But I think just switch, getting to flip your mindset from... I need to hit this pace on this interval or my run needs to be this average pace, whatever, to I'm just, if I worked really hard during that and I can look at my run and say, wow, I really got to a, a, a good place there. It just becomes fun. And that's the whole point. It's totally spiritual in that regard too. Yeah. Oh, it's so cool. Yes. Okay, Sheila asks, I love David Roach. What yes. lessons have you learned from him having him as a coach? Oh my gosh, so many. Uh, if anyone's gotten a glimpse of David's book, it's called The Happy Runner, and it starts with something like... Everyone has the same finish line, death. <laughs> That's the first sentence. Yeah, so he doesn't take himself too seriously, and I think that really... Um, pours over into his coaching. He also empowers you to be like, it's okay to 
be proud that you love running and that you prioritize running in your life and that the people you care most about in your life, your partners, your family, your best friends, honor and respect and celebrate how much you love to run. Yeah, I think related to that, my the biggest takeaway I have from David is he contextualizes you as a human and not just as a runner, even though he loves running so much. He always wants to hear about your stressors in your life outside of your workouts. And it really has made me realize how important those things are and how much they influence your training and your racing and just your life in general. I started being coached by David after going through a very heartbreaking breakup and I was just running like crap. I was so tired, so drained. Every run felt impossible. And it was from him that I realized I was just really It stressed. was rough, you guys. <laughs> it was rough, you all. <laughs> I was really stressed, and, and it was impacting my running. And I, that's the case for everyone. If you have a hard day at work, if you're going through the pandemic and it's stressing you out, whatever the case may be, it's all part of training. Stress is stress. Yes. Jessica asks, what do you most look forward to being able to do again when the pandemic is over? Um, well, I think it's kind of hard to say when the pandemic's over, just since it could be like, you know, double digit months. Um, but like, I really want to have a big party. <laughs> like, like big party <laughs> I want to invite like every single one of my friends to my teeny tiny apartment and <laughs> and rage <laughs> uh yeah I'll leave it at that <laughs> uh I, I guess two things other than attending Claire's party that's probably my number one priority <laughs> the other two things would be I'd really like to go back to New Hampshire Shout out to Haley, who's listening, who's also from New Hampshire. I really miss it, and it's so comforting. I just love New England, and I'd love to get back and see my family, especially my parents' dogs. I miss them immensely. It's <laughs> oh <my God>. uh, <laughs> a whole other story. Julia has met – have you met the dog? You've met my mom. So, Oh, you did meet the I've dogs. I've met the dogs. That's right. Okay, <laughs> we won't get into that. Um, the other thing is – I don't know if the pandemic will have to be over to do this, but I'd really love to run up in the high country this summer, up in the mountains. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. I'm going to give us two more questions. Aubrey writes, what keeps you coming back to running? Can you talk about transitioning into a different running scene after college? Mm. Well, I had a kind of weird transition. I was a professional triathlete after running in college and I think part of the reason I went into triathlon was I wanted to kind of retain my identity as a collegiate runner where you run super fast and have very structured track workouts and long runs. And it just felt familiar to me in a way, even though it also incorporated two other sports. <laughs> um, but then when Claire opened my eyes to trail running, I'll give Claire all the credit. Basically it was all Claire. Uh, I finally, at that point, a couple years out of school, was able to let go of that need. That Really, it was a compulsive need to run all my long runs at a certain pace and know I could run a 10K in a certain time. And it's funny looking back on it now. Um, I really am grateful for my collegiate experience, especially for our teammates. That was the team. Claire and I went to college together and our team was definitely the highlight of college for me, just all of our friends studying with them, training with them. But when I finally realized that that chapter in my life was over, running took on this new purpose from one of community and friendship, even though that's still really important. Now it's also having that relationship with the landscape and trail running I've found is just a really great way to connect with the earth in a new way that I didn't really have the time or access to in college. Yeah. Also, okay, just side note, Abby was like a multiple national tr champion in triathlon. So when she's like, I did two other sports, 
Okay, she was like I mean, actually doing two other sports very quickly. Um, but yeah, so we both ran together at Princeton and she she did her grad school and ran very fast at University of Colorado Boulder. And I um, moved to Thailand after college uh, <laughs> in like a little bit of a different avenue. And it was there that I discovered um, ultra running because I did this like 80K and uh, this really remote place in Northern Thailand. And the transition of any type of running, I feel like is so beautiful. Cause it's like, if you like the journey itself of running, whether you're running on roads, sidewalks, bike paths, trails, mountains, like, I think just embracing what you have. And that's, that's sort of been, my journey. And yes, I've, I moved back to Colorado cause that was a priority for me to, to have access to trails. Um, and I'm from Colorado, but it's like, if you love running and you want to transition into another type of running, like just love it and embrace it and, you know, ask people questions and like get in the scene, like read about it, you know. And don't be afraid to try new things too. I think one of the hardest transitions from being a collegiate runner to a trail runner is just letting go of, as I said, your pace and how far you've gone and all of these things that matter so much. All of a sudden they don't matter at all. And the idea that you can walk in the middle of your run, if you're going up a mountain, like that's okay. As no, a matter of fact, no one cares. <laughs> well, and you probably should be hiking at some point if you're at, you know, going up a mountain or not. Like whatever, it's just part of the sport. Yeah, and just like celebrating what you are where you are. Like none of us, unless you are like running collegiate right now, right now, like great. Or if you never did, like great. But where are you right now? Like where are you in your life? What are you doing? What why do you run right now? Like that, it's a constant transition, you know? Like, I feel like any day I'm like, maybe I'll just retire. Claire did you say know? that at <laughs> yeah. the beginning of the at pandemic. At the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, I'm good, I'm done. <laughs> and then I was like, shit, I really love running. <laughs> and so I've kept running. <laughs> And I, I like have a lot of things I want to do, but you know, it's just like embracing how you feel. Like it's okay. Yeah. It's okay to take a year off from running or two years. And as a matter of fact, that is probably a good idea. I think after college, because <laughs> Claire kind of took a little break in Thailand, maybe not, but yeah. unless it was a less intense yeah. environment. And I've kind of been forced to do that through injuries every once in a while. And I think that actually can be the most beneficial thing to your running is to ha having some type of break or doing something differently with yeah. it. So we're going to end on a really light note. Caitlin asks, what's your favorite dessert? <laughs> yes. And I don't know if this will stay live, but we'll try and answer. Abby and I will type out if you guys like actually care about what we <laughs> want the answer to the questions that we didn't get to um we'll type them out after this but yeah, these are great questions yeah uh ooh. favorite dessert i don't know abby's been baking so much bread and i'm a <laughs> celiac and i just like so i don't even know i like <laughs> i like a lot of food johnny what have i been eating for dessert recently <laughs> Mochi ice cream oh yeah i've been eating some mochi ice cream bars because when the pandemic hit you know i went straight to the asian market and bought like three hundred dollars worth of rice and mochi <laughs> these like mochi ice cream they have like some vegan kinds too <laughs> yeah mochi. how about you Abby? Yeah. my favorite dessert kind of it it cycles with the seasons so in the fall, it's definitely apple pie. That's probably my number one that I could never give up. Of course, um, it cycles with but, the season. <laughs> well, like, you know, in the, in the winter, you crave, like, warmer foods, totally. maybe a little bit denser. So now we're, we really feel like we're in summer right now in Boulder. So I've been eating a lot of ice cream. Sweet Cow ice cream is about half a mile from my house. And my boyfriend and I have been going through a quart of cookies and cream ice cream every day and a half. <laughs> <laughs> so that's yeah that's where we are right now 
Awesome. Well, I'm happy we ended. We went through some heavy stuff. Um, but everyone, enjoy your desserts. Thank you both so much for being such incredible forces of positivity, of insight, of activism for the world. Claire and Abby, I'm so grateful to have you on and just to know both of you. Thank you. Thank you, you Julia. Julia. You're such a light in our lives. So much love to all the people who... Yeah, you guys are amazing. Thank you. God bless you. Yeah. A huge thank you to Jaybird for sponsoring this podcast episode and the Rue Roundtable live event. Jaybird recently released a new totally wireless Bluetooth headphones that I'm obsessed with called Vista. Vistas are the lightest, most compact, and most advanced headphones Jaybird has ever made, and they are earthproof. Tested and made to accompany you in all the elements, wind, rain, snow, and sweat, their battery life is also exceptional, 32 hours for each individual bud. The sound quality is incredible, and the Vistas are always in my ears, whether it be when running, listening to podcasts at home, or on one of the many Zoom calls. I live in them. Jaybird is offering Rue listeners 10% off all Vistas with the code RUE10 on jaybirdsport.com. This special offer will be valid through June 6, 2020, and prepare to fall in love with the Vistas for all your indoor and outdoor adventures. A huge thank you to Claire and Abby for coming back on the podcast this year and for sharing what they've been up to during this time. Thank you to all those who attended the Rue Roundtable and made time to connect. I know that this time of COVID-19 has been really intense for everyone in so many different ways that I feel like I don't even have words to fully capture it. But please know that my heart and my thoughts are with all of you. And that I hope to see some of you and come together for the remaining Rue Roundtables this month in May. You can find all the info for that at runningonum.com slash events. Okay, so you know I read every iTunes review that's written, and I take your feedback to heart. Here in the outros, I feature a listener review, and if it's your review, reach out to me after hearing it, and I'll send you a little something via snail mail. On May 6th, Medically Ohm wrote, one of my favorite podcasts. This has been one of my favorite podcasts for many years. I'm so excited that Rue is back and making new episodes. I love listening while running, paddling, and biking. Oh, thank you, Medically Ohm, for your review. It brings me so much joy to think of someone paddling while listening to the podcast. And thank you for being a longtime listener. Please reach out to me at runningnome at gmail.com with your address, and I'll send you a little something. Leaving iTunes reviews are a huge help in spreading the word about the podcast. And I thank all of you over the years who've left reviews. Keep them coming. A huge thank you to the incredible podcast team that actually makes this podcast a reality. That's Nick Errol for podcast management, Tim Briggs for design, John Summerford for audio production, Caitlin Marie Minor Ong for illustration. Thank you to this team. Thank you. Yes, you for listening. Lots of love and gratitude. Music.